Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. We are recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 19th of March. And we've got a range of issues we're going to look at. The Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of England met this week, and we've got minutes um, that were published yesterday. There's some new information on public borrowing figures that we'll have a look at. Um, finally, the white paper that we I think we we talked about a few weeks ago saying it was imminent has finally been published. Um, and that's about restoring trust in audit and corporate governance to give it its full title. Um, I can see Nick raising an eyebrow there. Um, and also just just a little bit um, more information around COVID unit costs. Again, that's picked up in the, the Sunday Times last week, which has raised some interesting um, questions for viability of businesses in, in future. So. Nick, shall we start with the Monetary Policy Committee? And also we should say, because Andrew Bailey, of course, the governor, gave an interview on the Today programme on Monday morning, mm-hmm. I think, um, which was not the most illuminating <laughs> of, of interviews, apart from one phrase which I did quite like, um, where he was asked about Andy Haldane, our friend's um, comments about the economy being a coiled spring. And um, Andrew Bailey's response was, I think that could happen but I'm probably on the more balanced side um, of the of where the risks lay. Yes, in, indeed. Okay, well, let, let's start with the MPC. Um, and the interesting thing here is is really their their attitude, their view, their mood, their take on what's going on here. And and, and probably the easiest thing here is to just simply quote from the MPC minutes. Um, and uh, they say the outlook for the UK economy and particularly the relative movement in demand and supply during the recovery from the pandemic remains unusually uncertain. Those are the key words, unusually Mm. uncertain. And it goes on to say it continues to depend on the evolution of the pandemic, measures taken to protect public health, and again, the key bit, how households, businesses and financial markets respond to these developments. So it's sort of um, a further allusion to uh, the rollout of the uh, vaccine. And of course, uh, this was all coming out about the same time as um, we got the Indian hiccup and the... That's right. Uh, and the delay and, and in vaccinations. And the, EEC, uh, the, the uh, EU's um, interesting reaction um, to the current situation. Uh, and but of course it, it it also refers to this famous um, uh, honeypot of of um, saving accumulated savings and all these all the debate about whether whether we're all going to rush out and spend it or whether we're not. So I mean I think effectively the MPC saying um, we really don't know yet um, what's going on, um, and, and I think that's a very reasoned view. And, and, and a sensible view taken, I think, alongside um, uh, Andrew Bailey's um, rather limp but um, neutral comments, which I think was were, yeah. were good. Um, I think it's, it, it, I suppose the other thing, because looking at the, the way the press picked this up, there was a kind of split about is it positive, is it negative? And I think you know, you're you're picking out that paragraph. I think really does show that Bank of England speak that is very cautious, mm. um, and I think. Again, looking at other parts of their um, of their minutes, they say that they acknowledge that actually near term 
activity in the economy seems positive and possibly more positive than it was in February. But they're not very clear about how that really impacts their their medium term um, outlook. So I think they're saying, well, yes, there is some, but let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves in terms of this this really dramatically changing um, what yeah. we what we thought. And let's and let's not forget as well that the OBR, of course. Um, says that the Bank of England is the most optimistic yeah. of all the, the forecasts anyway. So um yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um so if we if we if we segue seamlessly from uh, from that to the OBR numbers um uh, this is the ONS numbers this morning about government borrowing. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we're in the territory of eye-watering and frankly increasingly meaningless numbers. But for what it's worth, um the February 2021 borrowings were 19.1 billion, which is a mere 17.6 billion higher than the than February last year. Mm-hmm. In 11 months, public sector borrowings were 279 billion, which is up 228 billion. <laughs> I mean, what does it I mean? mean? Eye watering, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes meaningless. And, and, and total debt uh, went up 333 billion to 2.131 trillion which is 97.5% of GDP, which is the highest since records began in 1993. And probably for some time, some Some way, probably back to, frankly, back to the Second World War. Yeah. Yeah. But what I wanted to pick out of this was a little side note in the ONS release, which refers to the fact that um, their numbers do not include what the OBR is now predicting which is that out of the 73 billion of coronavirus support loans, they now expect the write-offs to be 27.2 billion pounds, which is 37% of the total. Wow. But if you take the view as I do, that the vast majority of the write-offs will be for bounce-back loans, where there was no underwriting, let's let's There's not forget no they were. So, so it there was really something, was, wasn't there, for the for the um, for the coronavirus? Yes, there um, was. Main loans. Yes, but, yes yeah. there was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, the lending on bounce back loans, as at the twenty first of February, was was forty five, forty six billion pounds. So, if you're going to write off twenty seven billion of that, that's sixty percent of it. Yeah. Now, um, I want to take. I want to extrapolate from that because it. It, it matters. Um, 27.2 billion is all very well. And, you know, um, uh, Dishi Rishi would tell us that what's another 27 billion because, you know, we've got decades to pay this back and interest rates will remain low. So don't worry about it. OK, I get that. However, 27.2 billion, if it all was to come out of the bounce back loan scheme, it won't. But if it all was, yeah. if it was all at the maximum loan of 50 grand, that means that there would be 544,000 defaulting borrowers. If you apply the average loan figure under the bounce back loan scheme, that means there will be 900,000 defaulting borrowers, which ironically is the um, Federation for Small Businesses um, prediction of business failures that we were so rude about about, um, about a month ago. Um, and that's really uh, going to be a problem. Uh, you, you, you might say, does it really matter? Because it's 18 months before these loans have to start being repaid. When will this thing um, 
when would it crystallize this problem mm. crystallize but it is out there yeah and when all the protections that are stopping businesses going bust and we'll come on to that in a moment um run off in june and then beyond june there will be i predict increasing numbers of company directors and their advisors sitting down and saying hang on a minute I've got no protection anymore. All the other liabilities like rent and PAYE and VAT are crystallizing. Should I continue? And it is quite interesting that my um, one of the partners at my uh, friends at, uh, at Opus um, said, uh, said to me uh, that they were finding it really difficult to focus directors of potentially insolvent companies that they've been introduced to uh, to get them to focus on what they should do because because it's still because all the measures are still in place well and there's no sanction the one thing that company yeah. directors are frightened of um is wrongful trading and ending up with personal liability mm. and that is off the table at the moment so yeah as i say I think there's are, another i mean you drew, you drew this other um issue out as well which is of course the bank's I've got to be the ones who are trying to collect this. Yeah, the banks money. have a year. The banks have a year to collect, and they cannot trigger the guarantee from the government unless they have made reasonable endeavours over the course of a year or less, um, and uh, can demonstrate that the company can't repay and or the borrower can't repay, mm. and therefore the guarantee clicks in. And it is very much a matter of what does the government, what do the banks do. To, uh, to collect these debts. And I have to tell you, the banking recovery scene uh, departments, which I knew so well when I was an insolvency practitioner, do not remotely have the capacity no. to enforce either half a million or nearly a million uh, defaulting debts. They simply don't. So we'll, uh, that's another, sorry, there are so many of these as we talk, um, watch this space. Um, as these loans begin to get to their repayment point sometime later this year or early next year, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what the banks do. And I think, again, you know, that we're not saying that this would all crystallise in one go, but, but frankly, yeah. even if you had a, a 10 20% um, crystallisation over a period, that's still an enormous um, amount of work to be done for the insolvency practitioners and for, for banks and recovery departments and so on. So it is something that we need to, to be... Um, focused on and looking about. Now that does lead us on to the insolvency figures, doesn't it, for yes, February it, yes, that we're yeah, yes, it does. Um, the corporate insolvency figures were out this week for February, and uh, we've had all the insolvency numbers, but the corporate uh, failures were down nine percent in Jan uh, in February Feb over January, mm -hmm. and they're forty nine percent lower than they were a year ago. Oh. So the insolvency um, clear out of the zombies and the dead wood of the forest has stopped i mean we're talking it about rose, it rose wasn't it in december we, we thought it, it was starting to rise and we were saying you know what what does this mean is it a trend and actually no it's not it's not a trend um, it's not a trend and, and and you know i don't think he's saying anything that we haven't really worked already worked out but um colin haig the president of uh, r3 the umbrella body for uk insolvency practitioners um put out a press release saying the usual triggers for insolvencies, which are winding up petitions and landlord enforcement, are banned at the moment. And he too reports, rather like my friend at uh, at Opus, um, many company directors are putting off 
uh, even looking at their financial position and their options because there's no pressure. Mm. So that again is a you know that's a problem. All that's going on here is that this um, build-up of insolvent businesses is just being pushed out and out and out along along the timeline, yeah. but it hasn't gone away. And we, we we wondered whether we might see an uptick in March because of the rent quarter pressure. Um, but actually, I don't know. I mean, let's let's see. It looks it looks those figures are quite dramatic in terms of the um, in terms of the the downward trend. So yeah. we'll we'll obviously pick that up when when those numbers are available. Now let's move on to the um, the article that you picked up. Interestingly, in the Times about. COVID and the impact that's had on... Um, yes, on now, now this is Bank of England um, stats. It's not immediately obvious until you look carefully, but it does appear to be um, some research by the Bank of England. They say that the cost of making premises COVID secure added 7% to unit costs in wow. 2020. It will add 5% in the first half of 2021, and will add 2% longer term. Wow. wow. And those are huge numbers. Yeah. When you think about the sectors in the economy that operate on a low margin basis, and the, I mean, uh, you know, the grocery trade for a start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But, um, and of course, it feeds into that debate about why, you know, that maybe informs why. A, a lot of um, companies are encouraging hybrid working and um, permanent working from home. Mm. Uh, and, and if you think about it, I mean, uh, this awful thing somebody suggests, and I think it's mentioned in this article, that um, the fewer people who go back to uh, to an office, um, the, the less of this uh, cost drag that is going on in businesses. I found those numbers quite startling. Yeah, I think they are, and I think I think um, again, it's it's for retail. Again, you just think, you know, the um, even when people can go back to the the high streets, it's looking more and more uneconomic. But but, it, but, it, but it's manufacturing too, Joe, and it's uh, you know, oh, yeah, and true. and it's um, logistics and distribution. These are all places that um, uh, um, social care. Another sector with appalling profit margins, yeah. where you know these costs are never going away. You know, you're you're never going to do away with COVID, COVID uh, biosecurity because um, it it may not be for COVID anymore, but it'll it'll be uh, that that horse has bolted. You know? Yeah, that's true, actually, isn't it? I think that those um, those measures now they would be expected. That's a kind yes. of level. It's an entry an entry level for, for these kind a of places. Absolutely right. So that was um, that was really quite. Um, Quite interesting. Where do we go from here, Joe? I think well, that I let's let's talk about the um, restoring trust in audit and corporate yeah. governance white paper. So that was, I think, that was released yesterday. Was it? It's at two hundred thirty-two pages, and I have not read all of it. <laughs> I confess. So I'm, I think both of us are picking up. I will read it, and actually, it's it's worth worth saying we will post a link to this. Responses are due by the eighth of July, um, mm. so it is worth worth looking at. the 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 main um, the main points have been picked up in in the. The press and I don't think there's anything hugely surprising because this is on the back of three reviews that were done in 2018 um I think and there are it's all kind of come together in this this big white paper to try and say we well, you know what is the, the future particularly financial reporting council which yeah. will um be changed I think they're they're suggesting this will be the audit reporting and governance authority 
um, which is going to have power over unlisted large companies as well as um, quoted companies um, with a bit more um, with a bit more teeth. Because it's um, driven, it's driven, Joe, by you know some very high profile failures, Carillion, Patisserie mm-hmm. um, Valerie, uh, and, and and a few others. The other thing that I found. Um, a bit startling, I've, I've had a week for being shocked by things, um, was a table in the report showing the percentage of audits that came up to required standard broken down by the leading audit mm. firms. And it is, frankly, startling, shocking. I, I've run out of words for it. That such a, I mean, in some cases, the... Um, uh, you know the success rate, if you like, of the audit process that that was reviewed. Um, the percentage was in the uh, low low sixty percent, high fifties mm. percent. I mean, some others it's in the seventies and the eighties, but it is not a great advertisement for the effectiveness of of audit. And of course, mm. it's something that's not going to get any better right now because the auditors were complaining, if you remember a little while ago, that they couldn't do their work effectively they um, because they, into, they can't get into the companies yeah. and they can't get their staff, you know, they're, they're having problems staffing, yeah. all these things. Um, so, but I mean, you're right. I mean, this has been a, a hot topic for a long time that something, you know, something needs to be done, the famous mm. phrase, something needs to be done. And here we are. Um, what I found interesting was the uh, predictable, but not very. Um, well, I've, I've, again, I've lost the word. But the, the predictable reaction by a number of individual directors, who we shan't, we won't name, yes. but also some <laughs> business organisations, um, absolutely shocked at two particular suggestions. One that they might. Uh, directors might somehow be personally responsible for the accuracy of their accounts. I would have thought that <laughs> was a the given, given yeah. fiduciary duty, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I, I, I worry when people complain that they're going to be held responsible for the accuracy of their accounts. But of course, it's the financial responsibility that is. Exactly. Yeah. Is, and, and also the other thing that's um, caused outrage is the suggestion that uh bonuses for, for executives can be clawed back, clawed back. For up and that's to two up to two years. years isn't it i think yeah that's what they're you know so so you are hitting people in the in, in the wallet um, mm. and that always causes and that was quite a big controversy about carillion wasn't it? i think there were quite a lot of bonuses paid out just before um carillion started to to fail and and this is um they're talking about this covering companies with more than 2000 staff or balance sheets bigger than 2 billion and then also a level of the director liability for 500 staff yeah. and turnover of more than 500 um, million. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a meaty, um, it's a meaty paper. I think there are some, uh, so there's some disappointment that, that that not all the recommendations from the previous reviews have been put into place. So there's something on the the idea that there might be a joint audit, and I think that was controversial, wasn't it? I think there's the France, I think, have um, have got some kind of joint audit regime and i know you said from your experience of of anything where you try and have two firms it doesn't working work. together it doesn't really it doesn't it work, doesn't work. So you, you you end up either with a senior and junior partner situation which is what where, i think they're actually just suggesting here i i, I know and and i 
just, uh, you know, I mean, I would want to look very closely at the mechanics of something like that. But it seems to me that, um, you know, the junior auditor is by definition going to be at sufficient of a disadvantage that being effective could be a challenge. And I can tell you from the insolvency world that, you know, two firms doing a joint um, administration or liquidation is a recipe for complete disaster. Bickering, jealousies, Mm. sniping, point scoring. Um, I mean, I don't think that sort of thing would happen in in, in such an elegant world as as auditing. But uh, nonetheless, uh, interesting idea, worth exploring, probably won't work. But I think, and again, the conclusion it seems to be that there will be more, there will be more bureaucracy, um, you know, as a result of this. And I think, you know, it's it's always difficult, isn't it? Because you, you, you clearly there there needs to be some change, but there's got to be a balance between um, more red tape and it being being more more difficult. And I think some of the criticisms about the proposed reforms about kind of stifling entrepreneurship and um, and those kind of um, concerns. Yes, and 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 um, loading a whole uh, extra layer of bureaucracy on on companies, yeah. you know. So so it isn't uh, you know something has to be done, but I'm not sure this is going to hit all the targets. Well, so we'll we'll, we'll again follow um, follow this. I'm sure there'll be more written about it, and and we will endeavour to to get our um, reading. <laughs> I I, I think, um, Joe, I was tempted to say to you, uh, let's post a link to the um, to the white paper. But maybe the more constructive thing to do would be to wait until the consultation period is over and the government publishes the result of the consultation. And then we will be a little bit close to knowing what the final format of this is going to be. Maybe that's true. Although I, I probably it's probably worth so, so people can see if uh, I'm guessing our, our listenership might have a, a few um points to make. And, mm. and again, you know, I think we've said this all the time with these consultations, you don't have to respond to every every question that's being asked. You can cherry pick um the things that are of, of interest. But yeah, it's a it's a it requires a bit of dedication. I think that will be <laughs> you need to set a bit of, of time aside to look at it. Um time is is running away from us fast, um, as as it always is. So I think. On on that note, I shall um, draw to a, a close. Thank you very much, Nick, as always, for being well, our guide. As, it's a pleasure as always to the week. Um, and let's and let's hope I kind of feel like we. I don't think we 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 mentioned, but I think Nick, you, you said on the the ONS by um, monthly survey that was um, released, I think yesterday, there seems to be not much has changed, but there might be a few glimmers of of hope, and perhaps we can just start to begin to see you know, what the what the future might look like as as we come into the. 29th of March, being able to do a little bit more, 12th of April, hopefully some um, more retail opened. And, and as we start to see these, these business constraints being, being lifted, perhaps we, we can get a glimpse of what, what the, the rest of the year might bring. So thank you very much, Nick. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.